God bless you, everybody. Very beautiful songs, so well led by our wonderful Bill Cole. He uh, led us in singing about the love of God. Uh, he was speaking about the Lord Jesus, wasn't he? The premier manifestation of the love of God. You know about him. He has uh, captivated your hearts, I'm sure. He came to earth, as you know. He did many miraculous things. He taught in ways that nobody before or after has ever taught. And then he was crucified and buried. And after that, he rose from the dead. And I suppose some then could say the end but that's not true. His redemptive work continued long after even those wonderful events 2,000 years ago. God's redemptive plan is an ongoing thing, and you need not look even any further than the mirror if you're a follower of Christ to see evidence of that fact. His redemptive work through the propagation of the gospel message and its acceptance by ones like you and I, uh, well, those are evidences of the fact that the Lord Jesus lives on and he continues to desire to save anybody who will. Well, how did uh, the uh, ongoing work of this crucified, resurrected, and ascended Savior, uh, how did his redemptive work continue? Well, it did through the lives of those who were his most devoted first century followers, his intimate, well, we call them disciples. They followed him through thick and thin, not always in an exemplary manner, but they knew him best. And at a certain point in their lives, even at great personal sacrifice, they propagated the message of Christ. We call it the gospel message. They did so with such effectiveness that through the eons of time, it's been protected, preserved, perpetuated, and it's come even to take root in the lives of folks like you and I some 2,000 years later. But before we laud these early followers of the Lord too much, let's remember that they were pretty flawed human beings just like you and I. If you read the gospel accounts of these men, you'll find out that they were men at best. Many flaws, they struggled with pride and all of those things, just as we do. And when the Lord gave them the great commission, well, it's the greatest of all commissions. He said, go, therefore, therefore, in light of his authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Well, he had given them this greatest of all mandates, this great commission, uh, but you and I know they weren't ready, really, to go anywhere. Uh, they needed some help. And so the Lord told them to do that, which was very difficult, I think, for them and remains difficult for us today. He said, wait, uh, this is a tough thing for us. It requires discipline, and we're not all that good at it, and I don't think they were either. But in this case, they listened, and so they waited in Jerusalem for something he had promised what is it that they were waiting for? Well, if you follow along with me in this 
fairly well-known verse, you'll see. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, but you, he's speaking to his early followers, you shall, they didn't have it yet, this was yet a future event, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit uh, this adjective is kind of important. You see, there were many spirits then and now, uh, many unholy and evil. He told them, however, there's a spirit of an entirely different kind. His character is to be holy. You must stay in Jerusalem. You need power. Wait until you receive it from the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you. Now, he always existed, you see, because the Holy Spirit is God, isn't he? And as God, he has pre-existence. But he came in acts for the first time to manifest himself in an entirely different way. He wasn't only going to come come upon them for a spell. He was going to come within them permanently. And that's true of you and I today as well. Aren't we called the temples of the Holy Spirit? Anyway, the Lord said, sit tight, wait until you receive power from the person of the Holy Spirit who will come upon you in a very permanent and personal way. And then, now this is important, you shall be my witnesses, you see? Uh, folks, I want to make application. Though this was written specifically and precisely to these early followers of the Lord by application, I hope you agree with me. Uh, that's written to us today. You, you can fill in your name if you're a Christian. You shall be my witnesses. I say this uh, with uh, such strength of conviction because if you are a Christian, you represent Christ. Every Christian is his witness. Now, when we think of witnessing, we usually think of something we do, uh, and that's true. But I think the essential issue here is not that we do witnessing. No, we are witnesses. That's our new identity. Every believer is an ambassador or representative of Christ Jesus. There's no question about that, but there is this question. If you and I are his witnesses, are we good ones or not so good ones? How would you answer? Are you a good representative of Christ or are you a bad witness of his? And to help you answer that question, I want to illustrate what a good witness is by looking to the paradigm of what witnesses do in courts of law today. And so, for instance, let me suggest to you, as you think about whether you're a good witness for Christ, a good witness is merely someone who shows up for court. So this is the first criterion that this determines whether you're a good witness or not. Look, you get a, a summons to participate in a jury trial. It states the location, the, the day, and the time, and you have to go there or you would not be a good witness. You have to take a stand at the stipulated date and time in order to be considered to be a good witness. Well, folks, have you thought of this? The Lord Jesus, who you and I have been saved by and therefore love. The Lord Jesus is on trial. He's being tried every day in the court of public opinion. Have you heard these opinions about Christ? He, he, he's, he's a good teacher, but nothing more. And so he's accused of being 
much less than he actually claimed to be. Or sometimes people say, um, he's an option. He's an optional way to be at peace with God. He's surely not the only way. Maybe he's your way, but he need not be mine. He's an option. See, he's accused of being only an option. Or, or, or maybe you've heard that he meant well, uh, but he was a failed reformer. He, he meant good things in his day and made an effort to impact on society, but he failed miserably. These are the accusations which are in the court of public opinion lodged against our Lord. And here's the question. Are we good witnesses? Are we willing to take a stand so as to defend the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we willing to lovingly and yet persuasively tell people, oh no, this Jesus is far more than a good teacher. Oh no, he's a good savior. Are we willing to tell them, oh no, he's just not one choice amongst many options and alternatives. In fact, he said, I am the way. Are we ready to tell them, oh no, that what appears to be failure, he was impaled upon a cross, was really victory. You don't, don't you see? He volunteered to be impaled in your place and mine and to prove that his offering of himself in our place was acceptable to the Father. He was vindicated by resurrection from death. Oh, there's no failure there at all. There's victory in Jesus. Are we willing daily to take a stand for him? If the answer is yes, then uh, you're on the way to being a good witness for Christ. Here's another criteria uh, to determine whether you're a good witness. A good witness is someone who knows the fact. Can you imagine this? Again, a courtroom scene. And uh, one attorney says to the person on the stand, you are here today because you've been witness to an automobile mishap. Can you please state to us what you saw? A state to the jury the facts of the accident. And can you imagine if that witness on the stand says, well, I'm, I'm so sorry for wasting your time. For though I was in the area, actually, I turned away just at the time of the collision. And really, I, I, I cannot intelligently speak to the facts of the accident. Can you imagine that that person would quickly be dismissed? The Lord would say, well, you can, you can sit down now. That person's witness would be of no real value, not knowing the facts. Well, let me apply it to us as those who want to be good witnesses for Christ. Do you, do I know the facts? The facts are the gospel message. And to make it simple, uh, first I did this for me. I wanted a simple way to be able to proclaim to folks I might come in contact with the facts of the gospel. And so I boiled it down. Perhaps you've heard this before. I boiled it down to a mere 40 words. Here, I think we can see are contained the gospel. I tell people when I get a chance, could I tell you something? I've missed some opportunities of late, and I really feel bad about it. I realize it after the fact. I go, oh, no, I had an opportunity to pronounce these 40 words to this one or that one, and I just got caught up living life, and I forgot about their eternal life situation. So... Uh, maybe you could pray for me that, that I'd be 
I'd be a little more attentive to the fact that I'm a witness for Christ. I'd be a little more alert because I want to share these words. I like to tell people, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. I like this because... uh, Well, it gets people's attention. They want to hear about the greatest thing that ever happened to you. It doesn't take much time to share this with them. Notice the elements of the gospel. Uh, 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 It was when I realized God was willing. So the gospel is all about him who's taken the initiative. He was willing to forgive. And so that's a real key ingredient, isn't it, in the gospel. I'm a debtor. I owe God a debt I cannot pay. I have violated his commandments, and I can't pay for my misdeeds. Therefore, I stand uh, before him as someone in need of his merciful forgiveness for all my sins. This is bad news. The fact that my life is characterized by a sin nature, uh, it isn't good news, but I find that the bad news has to precede the good news in order for the good news to be considered to be good news. That, by the way, is what the gospel means, doesn't it? Good news. Well, the greatest thing that ever happened to me is when I realized God was willing. Again, he's the one who took the initiative. He was willing to forgive all my sins, not just the ones I've already committed, but the ones, sadly, he knows I have yet to commit. He was willing to forgive all my sins. But how did he do it? Did he just pronounce forgiveness upon me? No, no, no. See, the gospel says that God's mercy has to be satisfied, but also his justice That's why he can't just say, forgiven, someone has to pay for my sins. That's part of the gospel. And so God granted me a merciful forgiveness of my sins. How? Here, through the death of his son. This is amazing grace, isn't it? His own son. Through the death of his son, who is he? Jesus. How? On the cross. You see, the cross is part of the gospel. And this is... This is this part really gets me in my place, in my place. You want to hear some fancy words for that? It's called substitutionary atonement. You don't have to worry about that. All you have to know of and enjoy is the fact that Jesus said, I'll take your place. I'll be your substitute. I'll bear your sin on the cross for you so that you don't have to bear it for yourself. Substitutionary atonement. So can you see the the expansive gospel can be encapsulated even in as few as 40 words. These are the facts of the gospel. Could I encourage you to memorize this? 40 words, and then you'll always be ready to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, a good witness is someone who shows up for court. Secondly, a good witness is someone who knows the facts. And now thirdly, uh, think about this. A good witness is someone of good character. Do you know some witnesses in courts of law have their uh, testimony minimized, even dismissed. For though they may well declare the facts of whatever the case is, they may be dismissed in the minds of the jury because of their lifestyles. In fact, this is a very uh, 
common popular practice of lawyers. If the lawyers can't dispute the facts, uh, they will try to diminish the credibility of the one stating the facts. It's called an ad hominem, meaning to the man. Uh, the lawyer, the opposing lawyer, can't dispute the truth, the facts. Therefore, if the lawyer can attack the credibility of the one who declared the facts, then maybe the jury will disregard the facts. Folks, we, you and I as Christians, have something to offer. It's the gospel. We know the facts of the gospel, but our witnessing, our declaration of the facts could really be invalidated if our character is not consistent with our declaration of the facts. And so what we need as good witnesses is not only to be good in declaring truth, we have to demonstrate it in the way we live our lives. You see, the world is there rendering a verdict about Jesus. Is your testimony, I ask myself this as well, is my testimony, is it prone to be dismissed because of our lifestyles? And so effective witnessing is more than declaring truths about Christ. It's demonstrating truths about Christ. Um, I was led to Christ uh, in the military by uh, a man who became my friend. He was another military member. And I remember uh, buddying up with him and doing things friends do. And I remember watching his life. Long before he said anything to me about the one who was his Savior and Lord, long before he did that, he gave me a chance to get a close-up view of his life. And it came to a point where I initiated the conversation. His name was Mark. I said to him, Mark, what makes you tick? He said, what, what do you mean? I said, there's just something different about you. And then he said, Stuart, uh, thank you for noticing. This is probably a good time for me to tell you my story. And he told me of how he had met Christ. He shared the gospel message with me. And I was willing to listen to it because Mark's life was evidence of change. Mark's life was consistent with the gospel message. There was nothing in Mark's life that gave me a ready opportunity to dismiss the facts of the gospel, which he declared because he demonstrated how they had taken root in his life. You know what I'm getting at? It's this. Matthew 5.16. I love this verse. Um, I try to live by it. Let your light shine before men. How? Well, in such a way that they may see, not just hear, see your good works. We're not saved by them, but we are saved for them. That they may see your good works and do what? A pat you on the back? No, 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 no. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. They don't see him. He is in heaven. They see evidence of him through folks like you and I. Now, our good deeds are not enough, but our good deeds open the door of someone's heart and mind to make them more receptive to a declaration of the facts of the gospel. I hope you're trying to become I hope you're praying to become a Matthew 5, 16 person. I am as well. When I was in the military a long time ago, 
this Mark who led me to the Lord, I roomed together. One morning, he saw me at the desk in our barracks room. I was studying the Bible. He said to me, what are you studying? I told him, well, I'm planning on soon taking leave, going home to visit my parents. And I'm preparing, you might say, little, oh, sermonettes, uh, several of them. I'm going to be home for about 10 days. I'm preparing 10 little messages that I could preach to my parents uh, to tell them the truth about Jesus. Well, there was a pause. Uh, he was silent. And then he said to me, uh, he said, I think you should pray about that. And I uh, learned since then, when you hear that from someone, I think you should pray about that. That's Christian code words for that is really a stupid idea. So I learned that real quick, and I told him, I don't understand why I should even pray about this. I want my parents to hear what I heard, the gospel message, and to be saved by it, just as I have been. He said, I understand that, but you have to remember, they used to diaper you. You cannot go home to preach to your parents. So I said to him, well, I want them to be saved. What do I do? And here's what he said, folks. Uh, I've shared this with you before, but it really bears repeating. Not only repeating, you should, you should write this down. This is what my friend said to me, um, good night, 40 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, ask God to give you a life that demands a question. I don't think I fully understood what he meant then, but I understood enough to submit to his wise guidance. So I began to pray. Oh, God, if you are in fact inhabiting me on the inside, if you've sent your very spirit, the Holy One, to indwell me, just as you did those first century disciples, shouldn't he be making a visible difference? If I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, shouldn't people see it. So I said, God, I don't know exactly what this means, but I'm asking you to give me a life that demands a question. So with those words on my heart and as a matter of prayer, I went off uh, on leave and I went home and I did remarkable evangelistic things like uh, taking out the garbage without being told. I remember doing that, and my mother took note. It was like the Red Seas had parted for her. And I remember things like when I went home, staying home. Hitherto, I would go there, kind of drop off my dirty laundry for my mother to wash, and then I'd go out and hang out with my friends. And on this time, I decided not only to take out the garbage, but also to stay home and spend time with my parents. And then I, I, I just felt myself being more patient with my parents. And, and it was an enjoyable time. In fact, my mother said to me, uh, I don't know, around the eighth or ninth day home, she said, you know, Stuart, I, of course you understand. We always love to have you come home. It's always great to have you come back. But this visit is different. This has been one of the most wonderful visits. She said to me, you're different. What's happened with you? <gasps> a life that demands a question. She asked, and I got a chance to share the gospel. And soon thereafter, my mother accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and my father. Oh, 
six or seven months thereafter as well. I know it doesn't always happen that way, um, but it could. So a good witness is someone who demonstrates in his or her character a consistent lifestyle that represents well the facts of the gospel message. A good witness is someone who shows up for court, who knows the facts, is of good character. And just this final thing, a good witness is someone who knows the accused, knows the accused. Here's what I mean. Can you imagine once again, imagine a court of law, there's somebody on the witness stand and he's going to give testimony on behalf of the accused. And so he's asked, can you please tell us what you know about the accused, the character of the accused? And that witness who's there to testify on behalf of another says quite sheepishly, yet honestly, I don't really know much about that person. I'm so sorry. Can you see how quickly that person's testimony would be terminated and absolutely dismissed? So I ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus? No, no, no. You do. Are you getting to know him more and more each day? Um, I have not enjoyed the coronavirus. Have you? Probably not. I, these have just not been pleasant days for any of us. And yet... Uh, the days have provided for me, I hope for you, an opportunity being quarantined in home and all the rest, even apart from one another. Uh, these days have provided uh, for me an opportunity to be undistractedly available to the Lord Jesus, who really is our first love anyway, is he not? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth and so I have found time every day just to come to the throne of grace, bow before the Lord Jesus, sit at his feet, and listen to him as he speaks through his word. Then I've responded. That's called prayer. And these have been, though these are uncomfortable days, they've been some of the richest days for me. I must admit, I've been spending a lot of time in the Bible to prepare for times like this. Not altogether bad, but no, no, no. I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, not for your benefit, for mine. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross, not just that we could have him corporately as a church, but that we could have access to him privately and personally. And in so doing, you get to know him more and more. You get to love him more and more. And the more you know about him, the more you can share with him, to, about him with others. And so I pray you are getting to know the accused, the Lord Jesus Christ, just as I pray this for myself, more and more each day. Well, based on these criteria, would you consider yourself to be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope so. I hope you and I are representing him well. In this day, really, a day of hopelessness for so many, I hope you and I are becoming better witnesses for Christ now more than ever before. Now, I want to close with this. My wife gave it to me. It was around Memorial Day. She saw it on Facebook. It's about the tomb of the unknown soldier. Have you visited there? It's in Washington, D.C. I had the great privilege of visiting when I was just a little kid. It's guarded. The tomb, out of respect, is guarded by specially selected soldiers. 
they are posted at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Would you like to know the requirements for being one of those people, one of those guards? In order for a person even to apply for guard duty at the tomb, you must be, this is how tall you have to be. You have to be between 5 feet and 10 inches tall and 6 feet 2 inches tall. So, I, I realized I don't qualify. I, I'm a little disappointed by that. I, I need not even apply. I'm, I'm not close to 5'10 to 6'2. I feel a little bad about that fact. But then I realized, though I would not be chosen, I could not be chosen to be one of the guards at the tomb of the unknown soldier, I have been chosen as a witness for the King of Kings. Good night. What an honor. Do you know the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier have to commit two years of their lives to be guards at that place? They have to live in a barracks under the tomb. They cannot drink any alcohol on or off duty for the rest of their lives. Now, you can come to your own conclusions about that particular issue. My, my point, though, in raising it is this. I'm called to be a representative of the, of the king. Shouldn't I be willing to forego certain practices that may be acceptable to others, but are not as an ambassador for Christ? I hope you're thinking in those terms. The guards at the tomb cannot swear in public for the rest of their lives. They have to watch their vocabulary. They cannot disgrace the uniform in any way. After two years, the guard is given a wreath pin. It's worn on their lapels signifying that they have served as a guard at the tomb and there are only 400 such people uh, who presently wear that um, wreath pin today. The guard must obey these rules for the rest of his or her life or forfeit the wreath pin. Now let me tell you this. I'm chosen to be a representative of King Jesus. If no. When I failed to do so, I know I will not forfeit my salvation. They will forfeit those guards a wreath. I will not, you will not forfeit your salvation, but we will forfeit the intense joy of taking a stand for him before a watching world. There must be on the uniforms of those guards, those soldiers, absolutely no wrinkles, no folds, no lint, not a bit of lint on the uniform. The guards dress for duty, in fact, by standing in front of a full-length mirror. They inspect themselves before they go out for scrutiny in the public. And I thought, I represent King Jesus Shouldn't I get my act together before I go out in public? Shouldn't I consider what I say, how I look, what my attitude is, knowing I represent the king of kings? For the first six months of duty as a guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier, you cannot talk to anyone nor watch TV. All off-duty time is to be spent studying the 175 notable people who have been laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. A guard, in fact, must memorize who they are, each one of the 175, and be able to know specifically where they are interred. And it occurred to me, 
I represent King Jesus, shouldn't I be willing to become increasingly familiar with the riches of his word, even to go so far as maybe to commit some of it to my memory? Every guard serves on duty only for 30 minutes at a time. But they spend, think of this, upwards of five hours each day getting their uniforms ready for that relatively brief period of guard duty. I represent King Jesus. Shouldn't I be willing to spend sufficient time alone with him so as to be ready to represent him well when I go out in public. In 2003, there was Hurricane Isabel. It approached Washington, D.C., and as a result, some members of Congress decided to take two days off from their duties in anticipation of the coming storm. On the news, it was, in fact, reported that because of the impending dangers of the hurricane, military members assigned to guard the tomb of the unknown soldier were given the permission not to perform that duty during the time of the storm. They respectfully, however, declined the offer. And so there they went to do guard duty, soaked to the bone, marching in the pelting rain of a a fierce tropical storm, they said that guarding the tomb was for them not just an assignment, it was the highest honor that can be afforded to a service person. Oh, no, it's not. We represent King Jesus. We are his witnesses. This is not just an assignment. This is the highest honor that could ever be bestowed on a person. What an honor, my fellow witnesses for Christ, has been bestowed upon us. Let's perform our duty in an honorable way. This week, even this week. That's our prayer. Lord Jesus, King above all kings. Whatever else may be true, to, true of us, thought of us, or said of us, whatever else we may not be qualified for in the eyes of the world, look at the honor you have bestowed upon us. You shall be my witnesses. For this we pray, for the filling of your empowering Holy Spirit in us, so that we could represent you well. Give us a willingness to show up for court, be acquainted with the facts, have godly character, and know you, Lord Jesus, increasingly more and more each day. Would you give us each lives that demand a question? And when asked the question, when asked to give an account for the hope that is within us, would you put it with us, within us to boldly and clearly say, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And then we tell them about you, Lord Jesus. And that is the means by which people just like us join the forever family. Oh, Lord, no matter what happens situationally in our lives, that is our vocation. And for it, we are intensely grateful. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.